Welcome to the Aspieland Podcast. I'm your host, John Allen. Come with me on an adventure into the world of Asperger syndrome, also called autism spectrum disorder. Everyone is welcome here, whether you have the disorder or you're interested in learning more about it. We're here to help you understand, share, and relate. We're just about to get started, so come on in. Greetings and welcome. I'm your host, John Allen, and this is Aspieland, a place where both Aspies and neurotypicals alike can gain commonality through discovery. The idea here is to learn about each other and understand each other so that we can coexist and grow together through great relationships. If you're new to this podcast, please know that you're in a place of acceptance. I want to help you as an Aspie understand the neurotypical world, and those of you who are neurotypical understand the Aspie world. In this episode, we have two very special guests that have come in for a visit. They're Michael and Carrie Donnell, a very special couple that I invited to talk about their journey in the autistic world. They have three children, Lily, Allie, and their oldest, Dylan, who was diagnosed very early with being on the spectrum. Now, being a new parent is change enough in your life, but when you add autism into the mix, it becomes a real paradigm shift. That's why I call this episode Game Changer. It's all about learning to parent a child on the spectrum straight from a couple who are living it. Before we begin, let me remind you that if you would like to comment on the podcast, you can now do that via the website. I've changed the subscribe page so that you can comment on any of the podcasts. Now, if you want to ask questions or just say hello, you can still email me at aspieland.org at gmail.com. I'll run that by you again. aspieland.org at gmail.com. I'd also like to take an opportunity to thank WZIP-FM and Chris Kepler, the GM here, for allowing me the use of one of their studios to bring you this episode. Okay, having said all that, let's get started talking about the Game Changer. Well, thanks for coming, and thanks for being on the podcast. I sure appreciate it. Well, John, we're, we're excited to be here. Thank you for having us, and, uh, and thank you for getting this up and going. Carrie and I are both excited to, uh, to be here and uh, to have this conversation with you. Oh, I sure appreciate it. Okay, let me ask you a straightforward question right off the bat. When did you find out that he had autism? That's a loaded question. So his official diagnosis came in when he was two. But before that, he started, we went for, oddly enough, a hearing screening as a kid. And you're in this room, a booth, if you will, like a room kind of like this. And they put the headphones on and then they just make sounds come to either side of the uh, head. And the idea is when the kid turns to look for the sound, they have like little TV screens and they would pop up. Blue's Clues or Elmo or, you know, whatever sound the kid heard. And um, they could not get Dylan to look at them. They could not get him to focus straight ahead at them, you know, to make sure that it was undeniably, yes, he turned his head to the right or he turned his head to the left. And at that point, we started conversation about, well, have you ever thought about an autism spectrum disorder? And I was like, well, what is that? <laughs> and so then that started the ball rolling. That was probably, what, about a year and a half Yeah. that he was. And then, like, we went through everything within those six months and got him officially diagnosed 
a month after his birthday. Mm. Wow. Well, one of the things that Carrie and I always noticed, and we didn't have language for it, we just thought it was it was quirks. And when Dylan wasn't talking up to a certain age, we always thought that he was just one of those late talkers, that, that he was still just kind of going through the motions, and that he would eventually come around and, and start using actual words, but he didn't. He would. Um, he gibbered. Yeah, he, he gibbered an awful, an, an awful lot, and and he would have gibber conversations with with himself and just w- with his imagination. Uh, that plus some of his his behaviors were a little different, and, and we and again we, we didn't have language for it. He would sit and, and he would spin in a circle, and he would never get dizzy. Like he would just spin and spin and spin and spin and spin and stand up and and, and go on like, like nothing nothing was the matter all the time gibbering. One of the things that, that I also remember that really kind of got, caught our attention was the. Um, I forgot the the door closures, not door closures, but the door. The door stops. The door stops. The um, ding, 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 ding. He would take and he would hit that and and play with that. If we would let him, he would he would do it for hours, just completely transfixed on it. And 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 those are at least those are two things that really stick out to me that we saw and we were paying attention to, and we were like, okay, something is something's missing here. Something's a little off. Let me ask, because I'm real curious, how did you react when they suggested it? Oh, we had no idea what they were talking about. I feel like at that time, autism was just starting to be more prominent in the news. We started to hear about it more. Our pediatrician, he called to talk to, to me about it, and he said, Carrie, just get online. He said, Google, you know, autism spectrum disorders, read about it. And, you know, let's have a conversation and see, like, as you're going through this process, whether you agree or you disagree. And Dr. Stiles, right? That was his name? Yeah. Dr. Stiles. Yeah. Fantastic doctor, by the way. Put a plug in for Dr. Put a plug in. If you're listening in Nashville, Dr. (laughs) Stiles. I don't think he's a pediatrician anymore. (laughs) Well, no matter what, go find him and become one of his patients. He's an awesome doctor. Okay, now because of that, and because you didn't know anything about it, mm-hmm. as you researched, did anything like, oh my gosh, this, or oh my gosh, that, anything strike you? or? I can say I ran into him one day at work, and Dr. Stiles, and I said, okay, look, here's my list. You know, and they were random things, and he said, well, I can tell you right now he doesn't have this one just by looking at the list. I think it was like Fragile X or something, I don't know. There was something weird in the I do remember that. And he was like, he goes, but what is, there was one kind of like determining factor between, because autism is a spectrum, so it's a wide umbrella. And he said, you know, there's certain characteristics that are in all of these that you're seeing, you know, without the official diagnosis. He said that you're saying, well, I could see this or I could see that. It's not all of this. It's not all of this one, you know, and so that's what made it tricky to be able to pinpoint, yes, for sure, you know, we knew this is what he had. Or at one point I said, I see some of it, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I still have more questions. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure once he got diagnosed, you guys had to make some adjustments because you're talking about a major change. Being new parents now, all of a sudden, it's new parents of an autistic child. Mm-hmm. So it's like really different. Can you tell me about some of those adjustments? And for Tennessee... We had a 
coordinator through the state come in and help us where they did like a speech eval, occupational therapy evaluation, um, physical therapy evaluation, all these evaluations that they had to do to see what services Dylan would, the services he would need. And so we had at Vanderbilt, they had a government funded triad that came into our house to help us because Dylan got diagnosed at two. He couldn't start preschool till he was a three. You know, the state takes over and allows your kid to go to preschool at three. So for that year, we had to find things in our house and had therapies come into our house to help us, you know, help Dylan. I know speech therapy was one and occupational therapy was the other one. Yeah, those were the, those were the two big ones. Once Dylan was officially diagnosed, Carrie and I both sat down and we listened and we, and we talked to each other and neither one of us fought it. Neither one of us spoke up and said, no, this can't be right. He's just going through a phase or he'll eventually grow out of it. Just sitting and talking with each other, we, we, we accepted it. And then we, we started pursuing, okay, what can we do to help Dylan? That's where things took off. We, we didn't reject any type of therapy or, or we refused medication. If, if there was one thing that, that we both said we will not do is, is we made the decision as parents for Dylan that we were not going to medicate him. We would do whatever therapies were available. Well, we would try therapies. Yeah, yeah, we if would they try. came to us and said, we've tried everything, medication, that was kind of our last resort. We wanted to give Dylan the opportunity to try the different therapies first. Okay. And, and and with these different therapists that came in, I, I'm I'm remembering them being in, in, in the house and, and, and giving us step by step, if this happens, then try this. And if that doesn't work, then try this. And also giving us language to use as well to help Dylan with consistency and with his own expectations of, of how we are going to respond to whatever the behavior may be. Okay quick example of this is Dylan not making eye contact. And, you know, one of the, our coordinator was like, does he make eye contact? And I remember sitting around a table with some other of our friends who watched Dylan while Michael and I worked. And we were like, we've never really paid attention. I mean, he communicates, he'd take you by the hand and he'd point to whatever on the counter that he wanted or needed. But at that point, Dylan ran up with this Larry Boy car and this Larry Boy figurine. And and I knew he wanted Larry Boy put in the car. It was a hard angle to get Larry Boy in. And he stood beside he stood beside me. He never looked at me. He just handed it to me, and I put it in, and he went on his way. And she stopped all of us and said, did anybody notice he did not make eye contact with her? And all of us around the table were like, oh, he didn't. But, you know, he was able to communicate with us without giving that eye contact or whatever. So little things like that that we'd never paid attention to. And so from that point forward, whenever he would come at us with something like that, we were then being kind of schooled and trained to get him to look at us. Hold it, it to your eyes. Yeah. You know, whatever he's wanting, make him make eye contact, and then you reward that by yeah. doing whatever he needs. We looked like a crazy crew at dinner because we'd give him a chicken nugget, and then he'd tap us, and we'd wait, and we'd hold the chicken nugget or the french fry or whatever to our face, so he'd look at us, and then we'd give it to him. 
But that's how he had to learn to make eye contact, which seems silly in retrospect. <laughs> uh, but we were willing to do it. It, it, it made, no, no matter how silly it looked, we, we were like, this is what we have to do. Yeah. So, so we're going to do it. Okay, you, ha you talked about people being in your house mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Was it all free? Was it all provided by government grants? How did it go? It was all free. It was all free for us, yeah. Again, I know Tennessee because that's where we lived at the time. From that two years of age to three years of age, services were provided in our home. And then once he turned three, he started preschool within our public school system. So therefore, all the services he got, um, which at the time was occupational therapy and speech therapy, he got those free through the school. So the state provided like for that year before, because that's, you know, from the time of diagnosis to the time he turned three, and then we got him into preschool and he went from there. Okay. You remember those teachers' names? Because uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We brought them up. Oh, yeah. Those first year... His first-year preschool teachers were a godsend. They, I mean, were, they amazing. were amazing people. Yeah, they knew their job, knew how to walk along with parents, you know, to help them. Would communicate with us with things that they would see throughout the day that would probably help with home, and that they were they were awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, I have a real-life question. How did this affect your family life? Because I'm sure it did. When the girls were born, that that's another dynamic. Yes. That you had to deal with. Um, there are six years between Dylan and Allie for a reason. We wanted to be sure that we were at a good spot with Dylan. I always say at the beginning that we were brainwashed to think autism to help our son, which is great. It's a good brainwashing to have. But I wanted to be sure that we were going to be able to handle Dylan with autism plus have an, another child. Um, so I think that's why... There's that big gap between, because we were like, I think we're at a point where we can expand our family. Every parent and every family system, they, they structure their day around their kids and their kids' schooling and their kids' activities. For us, it was structuring ourselves around Dylan's school, but also his speech therapy, his physical therapy, where from the time we got up until the time we, we went to bed, it was... Uh, our day was structured around around Dylan, uh -huh. and th that was just all right. This is what we have to do. I mean, it was almost just like his his diagnosis. Okay, this is what we have. What do we do next? And and we just followed through with it, and it it became a just uh, our way of life. I think we were definitely more cautious as the girls went through their developmental milestones to keep a close eye on. And I remember talking with our pediatrician in Florida, you know, Allie's doing this. And she would ask, does your son do that at home? Yes. Then it's probably a learned behavior, but we'll make note of it. You know, she was like, it's, she's probably watching her older brother and that's why she's doing this. And so we kept a closer watch on her just to make sure that she wouldn't slip through the cracks or whatever. And and when we moved, we left Nashville in August of 2010 and moved to Bradenton, Florida. And and Carrie and I, adjusting to a, a, a new church, adjusting to new ministry, adjusting to uh, an entire new, new world, we were also paying attention to how Dylan was going to transition and how Dylan was going to do, just because this was something totally, totally new. And within our own transition of, of life, paying attention to his transition in life. 
and 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 he he was awesome. Um, he he took the move flawlessly. There were no major setbacks or hiccups with him being uprooted from everything that he knew to this totally new world. I think the fact that he loved water and we basically lived on the water in Bradenton yeah. um, was a huge thing because he had this really huge, massive bathtub called the ocean that, that he could go and play in whenever. And, and, he, and, he, and he loved it. I think too with his schedule, we had our we had our scheduled things like mm. speech therapy was were on this day, you know. So we had those set in stone schedules, but in those in between times could be flexible. He was never a kid that had to. I have to eat breakfast at this time. I have to watch this show. I have to do. You know. Thankfully, he was never that type of kid. So I think when. That helped when we moved because he was okay with that flexibility. And I know some kids, you know, on the spectrum, they have to have that schedule. But Dylan never really had to. It was a flexible structure, yeah. but but he appreciated the structure because it gave him boundaries. And it also helped him know what was to happen next. Are there any particular family events that come to mind? Um. I mean, talking about, you know, family life and him being autistic and the girls were not. Any particular events, good, bad, funny, not, whatever? Um, you remember the story of him hurting his hand? Oh, yeah. His hands have, are always with him, obviously. Mm. And they turned, he loved VeggieTales, and they turned into Bob and Larry, so they became his best friends. So he would, and that's a form of stemming, so he would stem with Bob and Larry, his hands, and... He was in kindergarten, I think. We had just moved to Florida. Of course, they have recess every day because it's nice and sunny in Florida. And so he was on the monkey bars and loved the monkey bar so much that day that he rubbed a blister and popped the blister on the monkey bars. So I remember calling a nursing friend and I'm like, okay, it's in the palm of his hand. What what do I do? Because it's opened, you know, the blister's not protected and... I said, I don't want to send him to school with those germs and, you know, get infected. And she said, Carrie, just put some Neosporin on it, wrap gauze around it, and then just leave it on at school. And so we told him, Dylan, this is what we have to do because we have to protect your hand. So we took him to the bathroom and I put the Neosporin on and we bandaged him up. And he runs out and I think that was Bob, the side of Bob. And he goes, Bob, Bob, are you okay? And he goes... Yeah, just a little, like Bob was all muffled because he was all wrapped. Yeah. He we was have, muffed. We have some great adventures with those Bob and Larry hands. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. It looks like we've run out of time for this podcast, but it's not over yet because we're going to have Michael and Carrie back to finish this conversation the next time. So mark your calendars and make sure to join us for that. Remember to please visit the Aspieland website. Just go to aspieland.org. Don't use the www at the beginning. There's a lot of really good things there. One of the things that I would really appreciate is if you would subscribe to Aspieland. I've added space for you to comment on the website or the podcast, and it'll put you on the mailing list. We won't sell you anything because we're not interested in selling anything. We'll just send you a note to let you know when my next podcast is up and running. I would also ask that you would please donate to the work here for both the website and the podcast. I apologize, we are not tax deductible, 
but I really want to keep this important work running. Now, all of that is available through the website. Well, so long for now. I'll see you next time in Aspieland. Thanks for listening to the Aspieland podcast. If you like this podcast, pass the word. This podcast is for everyone, whether you have Asperger's syndrome or not, because the more who listen, the better our opportunity to become more sensitive and compassionate, not only to those who have the disorder, but to all humankind as well. Thanks for visiting, and I hope you'll listen again.